Welcome to Redesigning for Deeper Learning, a podcast in which we redesign lessons and units for deeper learning live on air. Our goal is to model how we can start shifting our day-to-day instruction towards student agency, voice and choice, critical thinking, problem solving, and depth of understanding, more real-world authentic work, and rich technology infusion. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Scott, good to see you. Hi, uh, love coming. <laughs> Always good to come back together to look at a lesson plan. And I think you've got the one that I shared with you. And I'm really interested in digging into this one and getting your thoughts about it. Um, before we start, just want to let you know, I reached out to, you know, teachers um, that, I, that I'm working with. And this is what they sent back. This is something that they are engaged with. Two separate teachers are working on this, um, uh, a shared curriculum in their district. And it's a robust lesson plan. You also have the unit um, in front of you, so we can look at it uh, within the context of the unit, which makes sense. But it is a robust plan. And I think uh, the teachers that I'm working with are wondering um, how they can add some elements to this to sort of make it their own and meet the needs of the kiddos in front of them. So um With that, I was really interested in particular of going to student agencies. We can talk about what this is first. I'll give a brief overview. Um, This is fifth grade ELA. And so students are are building uh, building their learning and their expertise around research, right? uh, An incredibly important skill, I think you and I would agree. And in this case, they have a shared uh, topic by which they can look at the skills around building research. And, you know, overall, it's it's really strong. There are elements where students can, uh, you know, they'll be working together in both large group and small groups. There is an element of choice about the area of research, sort of the subtopics in the larger research topic. Um, and, you know, all of these notes for teachers around how they can support students of all, all different Um, learning abilities. So Lori, just for our listeners, just to be clear. So this is uh, a part of a larger activity around natural disasters, right? Yes. So the idea is that students are going to conduct research into various natural disasters. I think there's five different ones. Tornadoes. Five, right. Hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes and yes. Right. Earthquakes. I I didn't already say that. Um, And so they're building their research skills through the natural disaster lens, right? Right. And the five areas, these five subtopics of natural disasters are intended to give students some element of choice and agency, right? So that they can uh, select the disaster type that is of most interest as they go into the research. And uh, again, for our listeners, the way that this first lesson is scaffolded around, um, around research is to use video. So students will be watching video um, in order to learn more. They'll be gaining expertise through those videos. And the ultimate goal uh, or one of the ultimate products in the unit is to create a public service announcement, right? So here's how you can stay safe or stay away from a tsunami or an earthquake or a tornado, um, you know, which could uh, obviously be really interesting uh, for students. So that's what they're building towards. And this is their um, initial entry into thinking about research, posing some questions and finding important information. What did you think about it? 
as a, as at a glance. So, um, you know, this is part of a larger curriculum. This is not something that the teacher has created herself. Um, so this is obviously a team of curriculum writers that's come together and created this larger unit. It has, you know, a dozen or more um, different, you know, lessons that lead to the eventual, you know, outcome of the public service announcement. Um, and so while this is not a scripted curriculum, it's definitely a highly scaffolded curriculum, right? So, you know, one of the things that strikes me right away, Lori, is that um, if the daily learning target is to cite evidence from a source to support answers to my research questions, then the first thing that I'm struck by is that students don't get to ask the research question. They're actually provided the research question, right? So bingo. (laughs) um, So, you know, right away, they're provided not only the research question, but a note catcher, which is great. I love the, uh, the note catcher piece, right? And says, hey, fifth graders, how do natural disasters affect the people in places that experience them, right? And then this is the focus of your research for this unit. Right. So there seems to be already a mismatch between sort of the espouse goal of the the writing standard. How do I collect evidence around my own research questions? Right. And then I'm going to practice by doing a research question that's not mine. And I wonder if that's a place to play. Yeah, I I really like that because that's what jumped out at me was whether or not these um, these students really are developing their own agency and more importantly, their own curiosity. Uh, I can certainly understand why we would choose a topic and why the the teacher might choose some subtopics. As you and I know, when we work with teachers on the four shifts protocol in particular, that's a question that comes up a lot. Who develops the you know the learning targets? Is it the teacher or the student or both? Who develop who decides on the product and how it's learned? And it can really be a challenge because teachers don't want to have, and we understand this, something that's so open that they feel like they can't help students find really legitimate sources when we're starting work like this. So I appreciated that level of scaffolding, but I did wonder how students would grow from that. And I also wondered, is there any chance that we're not really going to get students excited about either the topic or the subtopics? So when you layer on, they don't have the choice about the question to ask. I thought that was a really, I thought that was a valuable missing piece as well. So I wonder how we could have helped the teacher reframe that way. Right. So in the very detailed description for this lesson, um, underneath that large question of how do natural disasters affect the people and places that experience them, there is a place for students to throw in some other ideas for research questions, right? So it says, what research questions can we use to guide us in finding those relevant facts and details? So maybe when they talk about students researching their own questions, they're talking about some of those smaller, more specific questions that that are embedded within the umbrella of the larger question. And I think, you know, that kind of gets back to sort of this idea that there are multiple places to play when we're talking about giving kids agency over their own learning, right? And so, you know, one way is to just have it be complete inquiry and, hey, what do you want to know about today, this week, this month? And I visited schools like that. They're awesome. Um, you know, you know, when you ask a fifth grader, what do you want to learn about for the next six weeks? Uh, they go in some really interesting directions. 
But I think what's more common, and I think we see this over and over again in these, you know, deeper learning or project-based learning schools, is that there are still some guardrails or some guidelines. There's some fences around a project, right? So, you know, within the fence space, there's plenty of room for kids to run. And yet, you know, the teachers put some boundaries on the inquiry or the direction or the standards, right? Um, and so maybe that's an maybe this is an example of that, right? Like the teacher is going to put in some fences and then say within there, let's figure out ways that you can run in directions that are of interest to you. It's interesting that you mentioned that when when I work with teachers, we talk about that a lot. We talk about this notion of bounded choice, right? So that the teacher doesn't feel overwhelmed, that the class doesn't feel chaotic if the teacher's not ready for that and the students aren't ready for that. But I but picking those important places where you know students are going to be really engaged. So if we say, hey, these are the topics and here are five or six. Now, I don't know. Are there other natural disasters that that kids might say, why wasn't this included or could we could we have something else? But I love the idea about um, having them go off in groups and try to construct a number of additional questions. And that was something in this scaffolding that I found missing. Those times for student, um, student-to-student student interactions felt, and they're not timed, obviously, and this is where I, I'd encourage teachers to play with this a little bit, but they felt very tight to me. And it, it you could see in a class this being implemented with the teacher asking, who else has some questions? A few answer and and then they go right back to the large group. And if we were able to just put the kids in groups, have them brainstorm together, have them check their questions and and pull and push at one another a little bit, uh, they might really be excited to go in and learn something about this um, this topic. You know, I agree with you. It feels very tight. Um and you can sort of see that in the step-by-step scaffolding of the time that they spend together, right? So uh, although there aren't time marks, boy, it does feel like you're just marching through the steps relatively quickly in order to accomplish everything that you need to accomplish um, in this one lesson, right? So, okay, students, let's pick quickly which natural disaster you want to affiliate with. You're a tornado, you're a tsunami, whatever, right? And then guess what? We've got stuff to do <laughs> around that. And we've got to march uh, pretty quickly into those next steps, right? And one of those next steps is that you are provided a video, right? That is relevant to your natural disaster. And then there's a very scaffolded structure, very explicit structure that they have to walk through where they actually watch the video multiple times, right? engaging in um, particular steps at each stage that the teacher has given them, right? So step one, watch the video on your own and have a brief discussion about whatever you think is there. Step two, right? After four minutes, be refocused on your note catcher and watch the video again, right? Looking for answers to some targeted research questions. Now, those research questions may have come to the students, which is great, right? But then back to some of the research questions from the teacher. Describe the natural disaster. What caused it? What happens during it, right? Watch the video a third time, right? Try to answer explicitly that question that I gave you and so on. So it's things like this, right, that um, are pretty tight in terms of timing and structure. So a couple of things about that that I wondered. Um, 
you know, it seems to me as though, and, and I'll go back, you even mentioned the note catcher is something positive. And I agree that the note, a note catcher, a way for students to record their thinking um, is terrific. I wonder about even choice in that and how and where they're taking their notes. Um, you know, you and I have both done you much more than I research. Um, and this, we all, there may be some, some best practices around that, but we also all have our way of recording our thinking, of coming up with new ideas. And so, so even that, I wondered why this note catcher that way. And I think that, you know, they included some some ways if there are some students who have specific processing difficulties, you might try this. Whenever I see that in a lesson plan, I wonder, why aren't we making this open to everyone? Um, and, and I'd love to get your take on that. The note taker was also, uh, it looked like an analog note catcher for kids. And I wonder you're thinking about that as well, knowing, um, you know, your background in, with technology, were there opportunities there to harness some technology a little bit differently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a variety of different technology tools they could employ, right? It could be, you know, anything that allows them to capture text, you know, even something like a Google Jamboard or a Padlet would give kids some multimedia options, right? So they could capture thinking, drawings, images, videos, right? There's lots of different ways to sort of put stuff together. I think, you know, if you as the teacher are going to specify the exact video that you want the kid to watch and you want them to extract certain specific items of information from that video, then you're probably not thinking you need a lot of flex on the note catching side because you have a very linear process that you're marching them through. And this is the tool that will march them through it. It's this note catcher, right? Absolutely. I wonder, Scott, b before we talked, two directions I, I might like to go in. I don't know which one you want to start with. One was you said that this brought to mind a lot of thinking for you around uh, the ISTE standards. And I wonder if we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then um, I've got another point after that. But let's start there. And then I'll ask another question. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm looking specifically at the ISTE standards for students, and in particular 1.3, which is called Knowledge Constructor. Um, and the indicators under standard 1.3 Knowledge Constructor say students plan and employ effective research strategies to locate information and other resources for their intellectual or creative pursuits. Students evaluate the accuracy, perspective, credibility, and relevance of information, media, data, or other resources. Students curate information from digital resources using a variety of tools and methods to create collections of artifacts that demonstrate meaningful connections or conclusions. And students build knowledge by actively exploring real-world issues and problems, developing ideas and theories, and pursuing answers and solutions. And so, you're not going to pack all of that into one day's lesson, right? And so as I zoom out to this larger unit in which this lesson is embedded, right? Um, so the lesson that we're looking at is really sort of a kickoff activity where they're supposed to launch their research into natural disasters, right? But even when I look at the rest of the unit, the other activities that they go through as they build towards creating their public service announcement are all also highly scaffolded and structured. Right. So, yes, students are doing some 
you know, knowledge discernment about what involves a valid source, you know, how do you decipher what an expert is telling you, knowing whether it's trustworthy and reliable or not. But there's no choice in any of that, right? And so I think the thing that keeps striking me about this is that there's no room for a student to fail, basically. They're on this track and you're going to move along this track. And, you know, if I think about um, some of the pieces of ISTE standards, right? Um, and I go back to that research question that the teacher gives where it says like, how do you describe the natural disaster? What causes it? What happens during it, right? So if I give you a video that answers that question and I give you the research question that says, look for this in the video, and I had give you a note catcher that says, here's the space where you answer that question from the video that I provided, then there's no place for a student to learn how to pick a resource on their own, how to try and make meaning out of it, and how to fail at that, right? So where's where's the opportunity for the student to say, I picked this video on earthquakes and I'm going to ask these questions about it. And here's some information that I learned. And then the teacher says, cool, what causes earthquakes? And the student's like, oh, I don't know. Right? Like that's a learning experience for a kid, right? Like what causes the earthquake? What happens during it? Well, that wasn't a question I asked, whatever, right? Like there's no space for that to happen, <laughs> right? For sort of a productive struggle and an opportunity to go back and regroup and learn from an omission, for example. And and I love this, Scott, because, you know, a couple of things came up when we were looking at the ST standards, but the crux of this, right, is when that student fails, when that student has productive struggle, when that student makes sense, that student is becoming a researcher. And I wondered as I went through this, I think as you did, even with the the PSA. So all of the students are going towards the same outcome. They will demonstrate their understanding of natural disasters. They will show that they were able to research by developing a PSA. So you know that when students go home and their parents say, what are you working on in ELA? They're going to say, oh, we're making a video or a public, even if they call it a PSA, but we're making a PSA about natural disasters. That's what we're learning how to do in fifth grade, rather than I'm becoming a researcher. And, you know, I, I, I wondered how this would shift for teachers if they went in saying, these kids are intellectual, as you mentioned, was one of the words that I pulled out of, of ISTE. I have young intellectuals in my class who are preparing to become researchers. What would I, well, how would I add some color to this to allow that to happen? Right. And I think some of the key verbs in ISTE standards in that 1.3 section standard that really speak to me are things like students are planning, right? Students are curating, students are um, pursuing answers and solutions. Students are developing ideas and theories, right? And I think they're doing some of that, but only on stuff that's provided to them by the teacher and by the curriculum and by the unit, right? And so there's no open-endedness to that work, right? So yes, students evaluate the accuracy and credibility of some information, 
but they do that on the video and the other resources that the teacher and curriculum provide, not anything that they pick themselves, which is a whole different ballgame, right? Um, they don't really ever get a chance to develop ideas and theories, except in a very tightly bounded space, <laughs> right? Um, they're employing effective research strategies as dictated to them by the teacher and by the curriculum, rather than getting to insert their own ideas or their own practices into that and seeing what works and what doesn't. So that's kind of where that that very tight boundedness, I think, limits students' acquisition of this ISTE standard because students don't get to live it in an authentic way. They live it in an incredibly structured, scaffolded way. Right, right. And, you know, so just just thinking about this a little bit more, uh, as I told you, I've talked with teachers about using this this curriculum resource. And I think obviously we we know lots of the benefits of something like this for busy teachers, especially for new teachers. You know, the standards are all, are, are put in front of us. It, it, there's a ton of value in this resource, right? I mean, just just the additional tools and resources that are provided for the teacher to share with students. Um, you know, there there's some real great efficiencies here that we don't want to um, we don't want to detract from. I think we know that that matters in a in a busy teacher's life. But they'll ask me, and I'm sure people ask you, what what can I do that's just a little bit different? Um, how can I show my own agency as the lead learner? Um, in the building and still remain true because I want to, I'm part of a professional learning community. We want to maintain a certain focus. You know, what the areas that we talked about, I think are really important. I think there are some places where you could stay true to this lesson and the intent of the unit, but put in some additional elements of choice that would really make our students the researchers that we're intending them to be. And I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, while you've been talking, I've also been trying to zoom out even further to see if there are other opportunities in the curriculum where like maybe this is step one, like maybe this is, you know, gradual release of responsibility and we're going to be really tightly scaffolded and structured as we acquire some basic skills, you know, as nine and 10 year olds. But then later we're going to learn, teach you how to do more of that on your own. As I zoom out, I'm not seeing it yet, but right. Because, and, and again, you know, you know, we always want to recognize um, that, you know, different activities for different purposes, right? And so if this is more of an, an initial activity to teach kids some basic skills and some basic processes, I mean, they are fifth grade, um, then we do that. But then, you know, you and I are always looking for how do we then open that up later for kids to employ those same skills, right, in a way that's more open-ended and really builds their capacity, um, because the more scaffolded and structured you are, the less capacity you're building in kids to do it themselves, right? Right. And to do it independently. Yeah. And um, and that's where, oh, sorry. No, I'm just saying, and I, and I just, I don't see it in the larger sequencing of other units, other lessons, whatever. And that's why I appreciate that you, you took that wider view. You sort of, you know, pulled out the lens to look at that. And, and that's where too, um, I think I said earlier, that whole idea of that one product that they'll have at the end to me seemed like at the very least a really good place where we could have teachers um, support students in making their own choices. I, I don't think having uh, developing a PSA 
is the only way that students can demonstrate their learning and understanding. And I would imagine a room of fifth graders uh, could come up with some really, really cool ways that they would want to share this with others. Maybe they want to make a storybook and they want to make the audience younger children. Maybe they do want to make a video. Um, you know, there are there are so many kinds of ways. Some kids are going to put together a skit or a play or <laughs> write a song about it. So I, I wondered about that. But of course, We've got to we've got to build into that choice along the way. So I think that is one of the places where I'd really ask teachers to think about what the end result would be and how it shows that our students are these intellectual, creative researchers. Um, so that's 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 my thought about how we might level this up again. As we talked about the last time, we we get all these really good lessons, and we just want to ask people to level them up a little bit, and that's. That's one way I think about doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the designers of this activity would say that there is some choice, right? And you and I are saying, yes, it's a pretty tightly bounded choice, right? Maybe you could move the fences out a little bit, right? And use a couple of different structures and strategies to expand the space in which kids have to run <laughs> and explore, Right. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think we're about to wrap up, but that is where the power as teachers know, that's where the power of their professional learning community comes in. That's where, you know, they talk with one another and say, you know, how else, what might we level this up? How are we going to give choice? Is this really going to engage all of our learners? I mean, natural disasters might be exciting and maybe some kids want to make a PSA about them. But what else might we uh, encourage them to do? And and with colleagues, I think there could be a lot of value in exploring this and just just going a little bit farther afield than what's in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Lori, as we get near the end of our time here, I would just bring up this idea of faux choice, right? Or artificial choice, right? Ultimately, the students in this activity don't have a great deal of choice. So yeah, great. You get to pick which natural disaster you want to investigate. That's a choice, right? It's a relatively limited one because everything that happens after that is mapped out for you, right? And yes, there's a couple tokenistic spots in the activity where they're like, hey, what do you think? But then very quickly it gets back to, all right, get back on the track. Let's go, right? Um, you know, no time for sightseeing. You had your 30 seconds. All right, now, come on, we got it. We got a destination we have to reach. Um, and we're just going to chug forward. And so, but, you know, as educators, we can look at that and say, look, students have some choice, see, or we can recognize it for what it really is, which is that it's relatively small, tokenistic, artificial, and maybe ultimately to kids, meaningless choice. Because in the vast scheme of the activity, the amount of choice that they had within it was less than 5%. Yeah. Scott, I love that. And I think it's a it's a great place for us to, to rest this conversation and, and to remind our listeners that when you and I talk about choice, we're not talking about choice for the sake of choice. We're talking about choice 
for the sake of engaging our learners and making them excited about, yes, the topic at hand, but more broadly about the act of learning and what it means to be a learner. And that's how we bring ourselves to it. So any place or time where teachers can help students move beyond that faux choice and not be satisfied with their answer when they look at the plan, yep, there's A or B, look, that's choice. But to go even deeper and say, will these choices engage our learners or will our learners become engaged and excited about learning as a result of the way we're asking them to bring themselves to the lesson? Absolutely. And I would add a third question, which is, does the choice build students' capacity to be effective citizens, choice makers, decision makers, whatever, down the road, right? Um, And I think that third question is critically important because you and I are always trying to lean into how do we build students' capacity to do things independently, right? As opposed to creating these dependent scaffolded structures that, yes, move us along, but ultimately don't create students that can do things on their own. I love that. And I'm glad you had the last uh, comment on that because it's brilliant. (laughs) And I thank you for it. I thank you for looking through this lesson with me. And I I know it's going to be helpful to our teachers who are uh, in that place of wanting to make sure that they're doing right by their students with a curriculum that is very thoughtful, but also living out their true purpose as creating the our, our learners as uh, true, deep, rich learners. So I think they'll appreciate this conversation and I appreciate your feedback. Thanks, Ooh, Scott. I hope they appreciate it too, Lori. Thanks. Thank, thanks for bringing a great lesson. I look forward to our next conversation together. All right, friend. Goodbye. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Redesigning for Deeper Learning. All episodes and show notes are available at redesigningfordeeperlearning.org, and the podcast is available at most major podcast hosting sites. If you would like to be a guest on our show, let one of us know. Thanks.